Moncrief on News Talk. Get yourself seated. Okay, settle down now. Uh, we have a directive from the governor's office to address the rumors that are circulating regarding an issue that some of the girls in the school may be experiencing. It's related to uh, sudden and unpredictable discharges of electricity. This isn't about anyone getting into trouble. This is about the safety of all our staff and students. So, if you have it, please could I ask you to identify yourself. Well, I would imagine if there's electricity flowing out, you'd be pretty obvious. Uh, that's The Power. New episodes every Friday on Amazon Prime Video. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, James. Afternoon. Uh, so are they, is this like a superpower people will get in this or, or more of a, a difficulty? Uh, this is not like this is not part of the recent spate of superhero type shows right this right. is not a show in which these girls develop you know electrical powers and then pull on a cowl and go you know around at night and become vigilantes yeah. although there's definitely a bit of that a little bit of that thrown in as well it's based on a novel by Naomi Alderman um, which won the Women's Prize for Fiction I think in 2016 and was like a big it was a big book six, seven years ago, right? And when um, when it was published, to great fanfare and acclaim, it entered a bidding war and eventually was acquired by Amazon. And they had it on the slate, actually, just, I think, even before the pandemic. And originally, various other people were attached to it, including uh, Tim Robbins and Rain Wilson of The Office and Leslie Mann uh, of various comedies. And through a, a series of prolonged delays, eventually, it, it finally has come to us, uh, this time led by Tony Collette who plays the mayor of Seattle, who is one of the first people to sort of notice this strange thing that's going on. But it's kind of hard to define it as as her being the lead character because this is a real, you know, uh, multi-hander, right? The, the story is following women uh, and young women all around the world. So we have, you know, uh, we have the mayor in, in Seattle along with her daughter, who's played by Auli Cravalho, who might be better known as the voice of Moana to parents of Disney-aged mm-hmm. people. And uh, we also have then in, I think, either one of the Carolinas, we have a, um, a selective mute girl who discovers her electric powers when uh, running afoul of her foster parents uh, who are, you know, doing up to no good. Uh, then we also have in London a girl named, a teenage girl named Roxy who is the daughter of Eddie Marsden's Bernie Monk, who's like the uh, an absolute gangster in London. And she's kind of an ignored daughter who wants her place in the family business. And now that she's got these electrical powers, might be able to stake a claim to it. And we follow all uh, and more stories beyond that. I mean, we also go to, I think, a fictional country or one anyway I've never heard of in Eastern Europe and somewhere in Africa as well. (laughs) So this is generally aimed at, you won't have heard of any of these other countries, Americans. So uh, we'll just give you London. (laughs) Well, there's Nigeria too, right? So we're following all around the world as these teenage girls are beginning to develop this unusual power. And Amazon has released the first three episodes of, I think, eight or ten. I can't quite remember. It's going into May anyway and Mm. every Friday they'll come out and 
What I will say is my understanding, having not read the novel, is the novel is like an epistolary novel following all these different women around the world um, and a journalist going around interviewing them. And it, as a drama in the first three episodes, there was just, there was just an awful lot of repetition, right? Mm. Because their electrical powers, while being slightly different, are not that different yeah. <laughs> in the sense that it's a few sparks flying out of fingers and a bit of lightning here and there and some burns and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and seeing this unfold in four or five different characters around the world is quite repetitive because they are similar, albeit their stories being, you know, different, but archetypes as well, right? Because, of course, this is an allegory about feminism and about oppression and the and and why are why is it only girls that are developing this and what will happen to them and if you have read the novel uh, my understanding is that this is only one th- this season of the show is only one third of the book so they're they're planning uh-huh. a multi-season show out of this and as a viewer by the end of the third episode, I liked it, right? Like the first episode, I thought it was a bit all over the place. As I said, they're introducing more and more characters all the time. And uh, and not one of them is getting kind of enough screen time. And then by the third episode, uh, they're focusing more on kind of two of them at the behest of the others. Or no, sorry, at the loss of the others, rather. But I presume that they will come back into the forefront as we go further down into the show. I mean, that's the kind of show it is. It had, I mean, like I, I was literally about to say, it has some great shocks, which was a really <laughs> unfortunate uh, choice of words. But it did have some surprising moments, uh, particularly at the end of the second episode. There's a very shocking kind of visual uh, moment that is a result of someone uh, in, in emotional stress a girl in emotional stress in emotional stress undergoing some electrical moment and the the chaos that this can reap on the rest of society it lays its societal messages on a little thick right so for example okay. uh, my understanding is in the book um uh, tony collette's margot is not the mayor of seattle a very big american city but rather some small town in in wisconsin and in this she's the seattle mayor and is constantly coming into, um, well, constantly having arguments with the governor of the state. Uh, and he, you know, I mean, there's parts where he's telling her not to get her panties in a, you know, not to, in a knot or stuff like that. And it, it's laying on these very laboured points about uh, chauvinism and, yeah. and disrespect for women in a way that I don't necessarily think it needed to because it's a show about women with electrical powers who go yeah. around electrocuting men, mm. right? But um, all in, the whole package, I thought, was was like stylish and entertaining. It's got a really nice soundtrack. It's shot very well. And uh, perhaps the most interesting part for it for me is it follows this one character, Ali, who is the foster child I mentioned earlier. And she gets this running monologue in her in her head. And that's delivered by an actress whose name I failed to write down, but who is absolutely fantastic at doing a voiceover of this kind of unusual, strange, you know, quasi religious, quasi dangerous uh, voiceover. All in, I have to admit, the whole thing worked for me. Yeah. Okay. And when they get these electrical powers, can they control them? Do they do specific things with them? With varying degrees of success, right? So, um, as we learn, as the you know, so basically, it's very convenient that Tony Collette's husband happens to be a doctor, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's able to send their daughter into an MRI by episode three and do a bit of poking around and figure out what's going on uh, without a lot, without an entire research team, you know, there to, to yeah. back him up. 
So what is ostensibly ha- happening, and I don't think this qualifies as any kind of spoiler really, is um, it's saying that there's this new organ developing in teenage girls just sort of at their kind of sternum here, right? And this uh, in the opening episodes, they make allusions to this being like electrical eels about how they have this ability to use electricity to stun their prey and even uh, lead their prey directly to them and how electrical eels were once thought to hunt uh, in isolation, but now are understood to work in packs. And this is uh, laying it on thick about what's going to come down the line, is my understanding, as power begins to corrupt the girls themselves, right? Right, okay. So it okay. is a very, there's nothing light, there's no lightness in, in any of this, right? They, ha- I mean, as for what their electrical powers look like, they can burn people with, you know, they can burn people, they can mur- they can kill people with, by electrocuting them, uh, they can shoot a few sparks out of their hands and stuff like that. They can, mm. they can, they, you know, it, uh, when this show begins, we have a lot of uh, the mayor dealing with fires all over, all over town because they don't know where these fires are coming from because this isn't happening in isolation. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of right. girls that this okay. is happening to. Okay. It's a worldwide event. And if you're aged between 12 and like 19 and you're a girl, there's a very high chance that suddenly you're now able to do this. And the scientists, the boffins are left wondering, what has propelled this? Is it some environmental disaster or is it some sort of survival response? But whatever it is, it's happening and we have to deal with it now. Okay, all right. So, and while it's happening all over the world, by episode three, it's actually just happening in Seattle. By episode three, it seems to be mostly happening in English-speaking countries. Yes, (laughs) oddly (laughs) enough. Uh, Right, we'll move on to our second show of the day. It is up here. You can stream the entire first season now on Disney+. Plus. Here's a clip. Miguel? Miguel Jimenez, is that you? Oh, God damn it. She knows exactly who you are. No one could forget that face. Drop to the floor, pretend you're having a seizure. It's Lindsay. Lindsay Arthur. This is not nice, what you're doing. Not nice at all. Talk about crazy. What brings you to, uh, this neck of the woods? I work here, in the building we're standing in front of. Tell her your base salary, not really Right. I completely forgot. If she forgot, she's an idiot. If she's lying, she's a liar. Running into you like this out of the blue, I mean, this is a sign. Conjuring a fake sign? A sign that we both live in New York and use a sidewalk? There he is. That's my boy. Hilarious. No, it is a sign that I should finally ask you this question. I was wondering if you could ever forgive me for standing you up at the diner. Not in a million years. Right. God, she sounded annoying already. Uh, um, so uh, th- it's funny, like, there, like so many things are set in the 90s now for, which to me was five minutes ago, but like yeah. that's nostalgia now because they're, yeah. you know, they're aiming at a particular demographic. The fact that it's set in the 90s, I actually thought it didn't exploit that in any kind of meaningful way. Sometimes I think they just do it so that characters don't have mobile phones. I mean, I yeah. know mobile phones existed, right? But like not to the same, obviously, yeah. uh, pr- prolificness as they do now but um this is a right so this i find i found a little odd right it is a musical show and obviously in that clip we didn't hear any music but the music comes from i mean very 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 successful 
um, musical writers Stephen Levinson who won the Tony for Dear Evan Hansen uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez who wrote um, loads of things I mean they wrote Frozen they wrote uh, oh, right. The Book of Mormon they wrote this <laughs> which originally began as a, as a musical in and of itself and, and Robert Lopez, Lopez of that couple he is the youngest ever EGOT of Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony ever. He's the person to have done it fastest in their career. And also he's the most prolific one because he has at least two of each of them. So he like, I mean, Crikey. he knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. And they wrote this musical uh, up up here. And up here refers to the voices in the heads of our characters. So we heard our leads there, Lindsay, played by Mae Whitman who lots of people will know as Anne or Egg or Her in Arrested Development. And Carlos Baldez, who I didn't know at all, who is from the Arrowverse, the kind of the uh, small screen DC shows verse, where he was a, a like he had a, a supporting role in Arrow, the kind of Hawkman, Hawkeye rather, of the DC universe. And they play, uh, well, they play Lindsay and Miguel, who are, um, she moves to New York to become a writer. He is uh, an aspirant banker and they meet, they have this meet cute in a bar. They uh, have this incredible first night date together and then something happens where uh, he starts bawling, crying and a mystery, not a mystery, but she's left wondering why. And while all the singing is going on, we also have the voices in their heads who are, you know, who we heard in the background there, right? So they both separately are experiencing this. Uh, Lindsay's are in the form of her two parents and her best friend from school who betrayed her. His are in the form of his mother, an overbearing mother, um, a girl that dumped him once and this guy, he walked in on his girlfriend or, yeah, his girlfriend sleeping with at one point, right? So they're, you know, they are the comic relief, I guess, insofar as they are offering uh, funny asides to mm. everything that's going on and undercutting every thought that the characters are having. And that in and of itself is kind of enough of a gimmick, if you get me, right? I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if it needed both this and music, right? Yes. <laughs> because we already know the inner monologue of the characters because we have all these, uh, well, you know, each of them has three oh, yeah. people. And often songs serve as the inner monologue anyway. So it's kind of double jobbing here. And although these are very, very prolific uh, songwriters and and Broadway, uh, you know, writers and, and award winning at that, there was not one song in this that having watched the whole thing over the weekend that I could hum or remember now, right? So for mm. me, it didn't work on the musical side. It worked a little better on the comic side. And I will say, um, Mae Whitman, who uh, ha- has been in a million things since she was a child actress, uh, is a bit underserved here. But actually, Miguel, who, this Carlos Valdez, the pair of them have this great chemistry together. I thought that, that that worked really well. And I wanted to just see more of that, except then just a song would be happening and I'd be kind of like waiting for this bit to end, right? <laughs> and like then it made me think a little bit about the spate of kind of TV musicals of the moment, right? And for me, the reason, part of the reason why this didn't work is because um, probably I was looking for something else, right? So I loved Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It was probably one of my favourite shows mm. of the last 10 years. And in that, they take songs that are pastiches of other things, right? So they're yeah. they're re- always referencing something else and they're for great comic effect. Schmigadoon, which is coming back soon for a second season, which is Chicago, right? <laughs> where they're doing Chicago instead of Brigadoon. Um, that works again because it is mocking musical numbers in general, yeah. right? And playing up with the uh, the understanding of kind of like the big golden age of musicals or whatever, now that musicals go sexy in Chicago, right? 
this is more of a straight-laced musical, right? Like, that's not to say it isn't meant to be funny. It is, definitely. But for me, it just didn't work quite as well, right? Because, it al- as I said, it's double-jobbing. It already has this gimmick of their voices in their head. I don't think we need even further voice <laughs> voices in their head singing, basically. Right. And is it, do you just hear Miguel and Lindsay singing the, every now and again? They well, the, the voices in their head also sing as well, but the, okay, the pair of them do most of the belting and all of the dance numbers and... And look, it's all shot very nice and it's all it, it's all it's all packaged easy and it's an easy watch. You can watch the whole thing in four hours. It's fine. Right. Mm. But um, will you will I go back to it? Absolutely not. Have I will I stream any of the music? I really doubt it. Everyone involved, I mean, all of the supporting players are all big Broadway stars, right? There are more Tonys in this, you know, Tony winners in this than there are more Tonys in this than there are in The Sopranos, right? But basically, um, all in, it just, uh, I I just, I wanted it to be better (laughs) than it actually was. But it's a rom-com, isn't it? It's a rom-com, will they, won't they, uh, even though they, like, will they, won't they kind of thing. And that part of it worked better for me, right? Mm. Albeit somewhat predictable, there was nothing too surprising. You know, it didn't take any big swings or surprises that I I didn't see coming. And as for its nineties ness, right? Like the only kind of thing it plays around with is the idea of of Y two K and the Millennium Bug for a little bit while. But other than that, I didn't. You know, I don't know why yeah. it's in the nineties either. Because <laughs> yeah, also, if it's a rom com and it's will they won't they? There's only so long you can sustain that for before you cease to care whether they do or they don't. Oh, trust yeah. me, they end on a cliffhanger that is also a an an obvious an obvious uh, follow up of the will they won't they? Talk. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. Our third show is Ireland's smartest. You can catch it on Sundays at seven thirty on RT One, or you can catch up on the RT Player. Here's a clip. The Ponte Vecchio Bridge in Florence spans which Italian river? Arno. Correct. In physics, after solid, liquid and gas, what is the fourth fundamental state of matter formed usually at very high temperatures? Sand crystal plasma. Plasma. Correct. And that brings us to the end of your first round. Well done. Thank you very much. Are you a big quizzer? Used to be in the past, in the distant past. When I was started off, my local vet was a part of a quiz team and there were short someone who might know questions on pop culture. And seeing as I was the youngest around, I joined up with the three boys and we went on the tour. People might recognise you tonight from Ireland's fittest family. You were in the final in 2021, was it, Aidan? Yeah, we were, yeah. The fittest family is uh, physical torture. This is mental torture. And (laughs) at my age, uh, mental torture is easier. (laughs) Well, look, at the end of that round, Aidan, you have 16 points. Thank you very much. Did she say solid was one of the states of, of uh, physical state you could be in? That's an interesting one. <laughs> uh, um, uh, anyway, that's, uh, um, I- is this the evidence? Is this the kind of smoking gun that Claire Byrne isn't going to do the Late Late Show because she's doing this instead? Uh, well, uh, mm, I don't think so, personally, yeah. right? Uh, so this is uh, obviously a big, brand new game show on RT1 on a Sunday night, that kind of primetime post tea time viewing hour on a Sunday when you normally would be putting getting your stuff ready for the week ahead Mm. and I just thought it was a rather dry quiz show right so in it uh, three three contestants participate for the title or to to progress in the hope of winning the title of Ireland's smartest and the way the system works is they have 
they get up one by one and they do I think two minutes of general knowledge and they're given the question and if they can they can interrupt the question uh, or answer it without any answers being shown to them and they get two points let's say for that and if they have to wait and see the three options and get it right they get one point and obviously if they get it wrong they get nothing and that is how they accrue their points in round one and then in round two they get up and the, the person with I think the fewest points goes first and they pick between one of three topics and like the topics were, you know, they were, they were like artists of France or mountains and then like music, Irish music or something. Right. So I thought that what my initial reaction here was, okay, the poor person who comes first is going to get now stuck with artists from France and that's how they're going to try and balance things out. Yeah. But actually they just replace the topic with a third topic each time a new person comes up. So they still have a choice out of three. So. I it, like this is not a classic game show, right? People will watch this because it's on Irish TV and they might know the person taking part and it's all competent. Like it's absolutely a totally competent quiz show. But this is not like something that I could see going for decades, right? This is not mastermind. This is mm. not Whatever. Quicksilver, right? Yeah, <laughs> stop the, is that stop the lights? Yeah, yeah. stop the lights. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's not it's just not I don't think there's enough sparkle or energy or whatever to it to stand out because the thing about Mastermind is if you like and not that I sit down regularly to watch Mastermind but I guess if I was flicking through the channels not that I not that I have channels to flick through but like yeah. whatever right if I came across it I might if I was at home in the family home and I came across it I might well, there's a lot of hypotheticals <laughs> in this statement yeah right sorry right <laughs> I might like I would I might sit down to watch it because you gain an appreciation for the person and their area of expertise right yeah. they select yeah. their they select their thing then they have general knowledge and you are like wow this person knows a lot about that thing right and also in terms of the set it's so simple it's a black chair mm. and a light there's nothing more to it than that right it, it's so simple it has stood the test of time something like university challenge right like sometimes Paxman, although soon I, I can't I'm not sure if he's finished yet right but I mean he's coming he's to an end, end yeah um Sometimes he's reading the questions and I, I don't even understand like, yeah, what the I question know. is yeah. by the time he gets to it. And this, I first read about this on the, on the RT website on, on, um, on, on April Fool's Day. And they gave five samples of the questions. Of, like, and they were like, oh, these are, you know, are you Ireland's smartest person? Can you answer these five questions? And the questions were so simple that I thought it was an April Fool's joke. Like, I genuinely really, really did. Mm. And this, I just thought when watching it, like, fair play. I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to come down on any of the participants or anyone involved. It's just an absolutely fine and utterly forgettable. Yeah, quiz show. You see the thing, but the thing about Mastermind is, as you said, the production design. It's 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 quite dark. It's kind of classy looking. Like that was like whiz bang, noisy. Yeah. You know, uh, that stuff's annoying. It's grating. After I what. agree. Yeah, it just yeah. Like I don't know what it takes to make the perfect quiz show, but like there are things that just are great. Like I I love pointless. I love. I mean, I liked the weakest link. I, like I, I I grew up watching lots of quiz shows whenever they were on. But be they tea time, be they prime time, it doesn't matter. But this one, unfortunately for me, is just, it didn't get all the ingredients right. Yeah. So you think that, so you think Claire Byrne is dying inside and really wants to do the show? <laughs> I don't know. 
show. Yeah, I, look, I, the thing about the Late Late Show is, I think it's such a tricky show. I mean, look, you're more of the ex- I don't. I, I'm only a viewer. You're a presenter. You know how, th- how things work on that side of the of the of the entertainment reality. But I just always think the Late Late Show is such an odd show to present because you go from like interviewing, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a C-list celeb from Love Island to then interviewing someone who has suffered the most horrific, like, abuse in their life to then giving away a car, mm. <laughs> right? In the space of, like, half an hour. And that must be very hard to manage. Yeah. Especially if they're sitting in the car you have to give away <laughs> while they're telling you their very sad story. Uh, James, thanks a million for coming into us. Moncrief. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.